Hello, we are the Edgy Futurists. I'm Dan Fitzpatrick. I'm Ben Whitaker. And I'm Stephen Hope. The podcast by educators for educators, the Edgy Futurist Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Edgy Futurist Podcast, uh, where we have decided uh, for the last few weeks to record live our podcast. So I hope it's going well if you're, if you're one of the ones who's regularly tuning into the live broadcast. Um, Good to see you again. Uh, you can also you can download the the podcast, which it goes out every Sunday, uh, whatever podcast app you've got. Um, sign up and register. Uh, leave your comments in the chat if you're watching on YouTube. There's a chat uh, just over over there, I think, just over there. Put your comments in there, your questions for for Abdul, um, and we'll we'll get to them. Also on Periscope on Twitter, you can leave your questions on there as well. Yeah, so we've had some uh, amazing recent episodes with Lord Jim Knight, David Price, uh, Professor Stephen Heppel, Bob Harrison, and Rachel Cutup. Uh, check these out on YouTube. Um, I know Ben, uh, Dan mentioned it, but don't forget you can subscribe on YouTube and you'll get an alert every time we go live. Loads of about over 140, maybe nearly 158 podcast episodes in the back catalogue. Check out some of those. All sorts of diversity, all sorts of diverse ideas um, and thoughts from all around the world. So have a look at some of those on your podcast app. And don't forget our online, transforming online learning uh, resources that we put we put out there, edufuturist.com forward slash transform. Yeah, let's get round to our guest then. Our guest today is Abdul Chohan. Abdul is the director of Think Simple. Uh, the organization works with school leaders and ministries of education to develop operational efficiencies and innovative learning approaches in education using mobile technology. Yeah, Abdul is a former teacher of 20 years. Don't look a day over 18, so well done, mate. I don't know we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, he's a co-founder of a primary free school in Bolton uh, in the UK. Uh, he's also a former principal and CEO of a multi-academy trust in the UK too. Uh, he's known for his pioneering work on mobile-based learning at ESSA Academy in Bolton in the UK, so all in the northwest of England. Yeah. Uh, since he has worked uh, with a number of international uh, educational organisations as well as devising learning strategies based on learn uh, mobile learning technology and their platforms. So his programmes focus on the idea of changing beliefs through simplicity and reliability. And they've extended beyond the traditional school environment to impact families, wider communities, and the schools that they serve. Um, more recently, he has published a paper on digitizing effective feedback, which we'll talk about, which was published in the Chartered College Journal, the Impact Journal. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Abdul Chohan. The podcast by educators for educators, the Edu Futurist Podcast. Abdul, it's great to have you on. How are you doing? How are you coping with this lockdown? Oh, uh, this is kind of like an impossible situation for me. It's probably the longest I've been at home in a very, very long time, um, usually on trains, planes and automobiles kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I have kind of had to quarantine myself initially. I was out for about 20 odd days. Um, I think I had the dreaded virus, um, but I've come out the other end and um, yeah, kind of active again, you know, um, working with teachers from all over the world uh, remotely. Well, it's good to see you healthy and and back to it, man. So I think it's it's great to get you on tonight. I think because you're in quite a unique position to to talk to about everything that's going on in the world in terms of education at the moment. Uh, being someone who works in quite a few different countries, working on digital strategies with with schools uh, around the world, can you just give us your take on on kind of what's happened and the preparedness, I guess, of of schools yeah. in the UK compared to around the world. So yeah, let's just dive into that. I think I think for me, those countries that have had some form, <clears throat> excuse me, of a of a digital strategy, um, the preparedness has kind of been you know a lot better. So it's not necessarily just about giving devices out to students or having one to one programs, but it's also been very much about you know what does that look like and how does that add value to learning. I don't think anybody can argue that you know having a teacher face to face being in the classroom is probably the ultimate learning experience you're going to kind of really enjoy that but technology does add value to those experiences and there are a number of countries that have kind of moved in that direction um so you know for example students can you know watch videos and watch seminars of their their teachers explaining things there's kind of all sorts of other 
useful kind of quizzing tools that allow to kind of check for learning and so on. So that's where the conversations have moved on, especially in some municipalities in Sweden, for example, the idea of every student having a computer is nothing new that's been there for a while but what that's allowed them to do is then to start think about uh, start thinking about is how can this now be useful how can it actually make a difference um so the conversations have been a lot more mature um with the uk i think you know over the years and certainly over my teaching career um there's been all sorts of schemes and ideas that have kind of popped up um everything from you know teachers getting computers and training and so on in the past to sometimes kind of technology and ed educational technology just kind of being disregarded as something that you know it's a bit of a fad and it doesn't really make a difference and so on um i think that you know therefore that's kind of left us in a position where in this scenario that we find ourselves in we've been reactive um and we're kind of kind of reacting to that by doing a variety of different things and it still leaves and and it's kind of started this important question around you know students that are in areas that are kind of highly deprived and so on they don't have access and so on it's it's kind of caused that diversity and that's where i feel you know countries even like singapore that have recently announced they're going one to one every student will have access to a computer um it kind of narrows that divide between the haves and the have nots you know um, and i think that that then gives us a platform to then talk about how does it actually add value what should we be doing what should we not be doing yeah definitely is there a it's from some of the countries that you work in is there, is there a system where it, it's working really well that you can maybe give us an insight into where you think you know what it'd be great after all this is over if um the the uk government and the education department could really look to these guys as an example yeah i mean look I, I'll, I'll i'll mention a few places kind of close to home as well so like norway for example oslo there's a municipality there called berum they've kind of moved into an environment where every student has access to their own device yeah um <clears throat> now um the conversations have matured from there they're not just talking about device since they then realize well actually um as a teacher i can speak and leave voice notes for my students but i can speak to the whole class the type of activities that i can set my students can be significantly different and so on and it's a large scale project you know um and and i'm kind of seeing um, a lot of great practice uh, coming out from that region as well um you know closer to home there's glasgow that kind of launched that you know the the technology project but they've they've put a significant amount of effort into teacher training as well now i know it's a rolling program and just before the shutdown i was kind of there um but literally it was day i, I was at one high school um in glasgow um castle milk high school um the students already had been given devices they were kind of further down in the program but it literally just took days to figure out what does that teaching and learning look like what's it going to look like from home and so on it was easy to move um quite seamlessly into that um learning environment um this there's, there's in british international schools in the uae um that have kind of adopted the whole voice feedback feature you know and kind of expat teachers that are working out there doing some pretty amazing things um with students uh, and and having that one to one approach as well so I, i think that you know there's an opportunity to kind of look at those areas and kind of going beyond that um there's countries like greenland right um where actually you know the weather can change and it's just lockdown you can't get into school so it's a it's a norm for for environments like that um to have things like you know home learning and distance learning to be part and parcel of that approach and it can happen at any time um so i think that there's there's huge opportunities from around the world where we can actually learn from it's not just about giving the device but there's a lot more around that in terms of you know the impact that it can have on teaching and learning i i love that um i love the idea that it's not just about the tool or the piece of kit and i know that um that's that's central to what you talk about i've i've heard lots of things that you that you've written uh, seen lots of things you've written lots of things you've talked about and i know the impact you had at essa and later on at the olive tree it's been around yes you have used a certain type of device or you might have you might have preferred something for a group of students but it's never about can you get an ipad in the student's hands that is that is part <coughs> part of the issue 
because we should have that equitable access and we know that they can do so many amazing things on, on a mobile device, but it's more to do with the culture of understanding it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Look, um, the thing is, is that, um, you know, along kind of my, my history and trajectory, I've kind of learned how not to do things as well because we've got a lot of things wrong in the past. And from that, we've been able to learn significantly. Um, I'm not, it's, it's, you're right, it's not about a particular device. There are, there are schools that are using Chromebooks and they're using laptops and there's schools that don't have anything at all and so on. But what I'm, I'm really interested in um, is that simple and reliable approach that actually gives the equitable access to students. So one of the things, for example, um, just recently I uh, was connected with some schools in the Maldives, you know, a thousand islands schools spread everywhere you haven't got the expertise across there and we've been working with an organization there called the islanders group um who run a number of schools over there now mali has just gone under lockdown um, and we did a, a bit of a presentation with some of the teachers we're going to be doing some more next week as well and the conversation was not just about the technology it doesn't matter the device that you may have and yes people will have different preferences for different things but there are certain things that i'm kind of seeing so you know this whole idea around synchronous and asynchronous learning uh, that's kind of being talked about at the moment you will have students in one classroom that might prefer synchronous learning you might have others that prefer asynchronous learning and it's about making sure that you have the tools and the, the the technology and the approaches in place that kind of caters for the needs of the students the reality is it's always going to depend on the quality of teaching if you give a brilliant teacher additional tools that allow them to do things that they couldn't do before you'll see amazing things happen you know and for me um, at this moment in time there are certain things that i'm kind of seeing as real uh, that add real value so the ability to kind of um record your screen with your powerpoints or slides or information and have your voice over that and being able to send that to students it's a really powerful thing yeah, um, it's the one thing that students miss on. Typically, you spend 10, 15 minutes at the beginning of a lesson. You give feedback. You kind of you explain something to students. But now we have the ability to capture that and for students to watch that as many times as they want. So these kind of approaches, even when schools return back to normal normality, um, there's the ability to kind of capture that content for students to watch again and again. Um, so I think that people are going to learn new tools and it doesn't matter i mean yeah of course everybody has preferences on the types of tools that they're using and the simpler it is the more reliable it is the the reality is is that that tool will um get used you know and it doesn't just become something that kind of gets used occasionally so and you know those preferences need to be looked at um but i think the use of voice and video at the moment is a really powerful thing and i think that we find ourselves living in a world where we have the ability to make that happen um so there's some there's some great opportunities to learn about new tools look at your context see you know what we can do now that simply was not possible in the past yeah and i, I think i want to touch upon your experiences um, in the UK and further afield, you talked about professional development, you talked about training and, and moving teachers on so they knew how to use technology to enhance learning. Why do you think there's not as much emphasis um, um, and, a, and a majority in terms of places in the UK to, to do that and get it right? They, they don't see it as a as tangible thing to do. Yeah, I think, I think training and development has been something that is... Um, <coughs> People see value, and I think the Education Endowment Fund has done a lot of research on, you know, the, if you invest in your teachers and you kind of, you know, put that professional development time in there, then, you know, there's going to be impact on student outcomes and so on as well. Um, so I think there's, there is something to be said around investment in teachers. Um, for me, um, if what I feel is that if you value something, if we're saying that that's really important, then really it should be part and parcel of the school week. Yeah. So if we're saying professional development is really that important, and of course things are going to continue to change and so on, for me, that professional development should actually be part of the, the school week. And, you know, it should be built in. It shouldn't be something that 
kind of is tagged on once in a while, you know, inset days that happen once in a blue moon and maybe I'll remember something from that. It needs to be consistent. It needs to be frequent. It needs to be relevant, you know, and it needs to have impact. And for me, that needs to be almost a weekly process. Um, so I feel that there's value to kind of re-looking at the school week and saying actually professional development should be part of that. Now, you know, um, when we first started to think about the olive tree as co-founders, myself and, and the other people that were involved, that was something that we built in the school week. And the Academy's program does give us flex to be able to kind of do that, which means that, you know, on a weekly basis, um, you know, the principal uh, at the school is able to devise his programs around teaching. And that doesn't have to be around technology. It's about pedagogy. It's about good learning. And if there's tools that allow us to kind of amplify those experiences, then, hey, that's great. It's an opportunity to share great things. I mean, one thing that I, I always uh, have kind of said is that in every school, there's always fantastic teachers that are doing amazing things. Where is the opportunity to share that? on a weekly basis with other people. It's not always about getting people in or getting you know trainers in from outside. Schools have fantastic things and amazing things going on. We see it on Twitter all the time. Great ideas, children doing amazing projects, teachers coming up with really innovative and new ideas. And sometimes it's not even that. It might even just be pen to paper stuff, right? But if we have the opportunity to be able to share that, um, weekly basis, two weekly basis, where teachers actually get the time to kind of reflect and share and, and try new ideas and so on. I think that's something that's really missing here. Um, I'm kind of seeing this model happen more in other countries um, and some of the countries that I've kind of visited that that kind of professional development is a lot more regular. But I think that whole model needs to be kind of re-looked at. I'm not sure that the inset days, the six days a year or wherever it is, how much impact they actually have. I don't think you can really count them as CPD. Um, it needs to be a regular thing. Can you imagine running a a company or a business where you just did a bit of training once in a blue moon it just wouldn't happen it needs to be regular it needs to be updated and, and people need to to know about the tools that, that are always changing and developing and, and moving on yeah and i think just from following twitter and knowing my own school and the teachers there i think now that everyone's kind of shifted over to online learning and uh, yeah. and have spent an amazing four weeks getting to grips with it and and, and teaching themselves and being taught the basics of it for those teachers who weren't already there and using the online tools i think now the start the starting to be questions of well now i know how to use a video conference and tool to to speak to my class now i know how to use something <coughs> like google classroom to, to set work how do i now do this more efficiently and i think yeah. teachers, teachers are really good at, th at thinking like that because yeah. you know that that workload is so vast that that i think a lot of teachers naturally their, their, their first uh, port of call when it comes to a new bit of work is how do I do this more efficiently? And, and a lot of teachers are starting to ask that question now. Absolutely. I mean, look, I, I'll give you over the last three weeks, uh, I've been doing some webinars on a tool called Shobi and Socrative and so on. Now, um, aside from the tools itself, I've had over four and a half thousand teachers from all over the world joining those webinars. They've come in at awkward times because time zones are different. Every teachers from Peru and Ecuador and Argentina, from the US, Canada, you know, um, places as, as remote as kind of the Fiji Islands and, and so on. Um, but teachers are kind of wanting to find out. They're wanting to know you know, what's going on? How do I do that? How do I kind of learn the new way of doing this and so on? Um, and you can kind of, I've certainly felt that kind of appetite um, to want to learn and to want to kind of see new ways of doing things. So if there is um, some good things that kind of come out of this lockdown or this kind of global pandemic is, you know, the ability to innovate because you can only people really only innovate or look for new things when you're in a difficult position when things are things are very difficult and you know you can't have your normal approaches to things so you then begin to kind of look at other opportunities and what's out there and so on and i think that this is a great opportunity for that for that to happen you know, um, and I'm certainly seeing that um, with teachers that I'm engaging with at the moment from all over the world. So um, 
I'm I'm really interested because obviously you've gone from being a teacher to developing a school, uh, governors, um, and now obviously are getting to see things from all around the world and you've given us some insight and we're excited to hear about some of the stuff that you've been doing most recently. Um, how did that, that, how did that happen starting from a, being in a classroom? What, what was it in you that developed that? Cause I'm, I'm really interested <laughs> to hear about your story that ties yeah. into the story of what's, what's, what's developed this in you, your love of education. So for me, um, obviously, um, you know, teacher in the local community for a long time, um, but actually, it started from some of the local community people wanting to kind of start up um, a local nursery. And that was done a number of years ago. Um, and, you know, I'm talking about almost 20 years ago. And it was just a little local nursery. Um, and, you know, slowly that developed and it grew. So I kind of got a bit of understanding about early years and, you know, registrations with Ofsted and so on. Um, and as it grew and it kind of became more and more successful, um, we, we became outstanding with Ofsted as well. Then there was this demand for, um, you know, a primary school. We want the children to kind of continue learning and so on. And that was a bigger project. There was, you know, a uh, two other people that were that were involved in that one was kind of like a finance person the other one was kind of buildings and so on and obviously for me it was you know education and learning and obviously by that time I had kind of experienced um, what works what doesn't work I'd kind of understood um, about kind of teaching and learning and that was a big one for me in terms of students having access to device and technology and so on so that was built into the plan but there was also that professional development that was built into the plan as well and the bid was then successful and then we kind of uh, started the organization in that way then a lot of people kind of contributed to that in many ways um for me it was kind of more of an interest in the way in which you know um you know the education will develop and learning will develop and so on um and we've kind of been able to kind of uh, grow that uh, from that perspective and you know we've got a fantastic principal at the school now who's kind of managing this he's kind of you know been able to understand how the 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 technology works but actually the focus is on pedagogy and learning so at this moment in time uh, my last conversation with the principal he kind of Harun, he kind of mentioned that actually you know every student is accessing content teachers are available at the time they're able to you know um, give verbal feedback and kind of they're able to kind of you know um, interact with the students they've set up a virtual staff room where teachers can support one another and so on as well so i think it's kind of grown from that you know you never kind of sit at the beginning and think right this is what I want to do and this is what I want to get to it's one step at a time and sometimes it's one step forward and two steps back but as long as you're kind of determined and you're doing things for the right reasons and you want to move forward in the right direction then you know hopefully good things good things happen yeah I agreed um and I think that ties into obviously your role now or or some of it I think all of us that are sat on this call now are either are or have been or continue to be governors in um in in different settings and it's really really important for us i know that both me and steve are on primary um governor's boards even though we are involved in in primary because we see the value of that and i i wrote a paper a while ago we we talked about this on the podcast quite a lot and and whatever else around gatekeepers in education and about the people that hold the keys and and obviously the keys to developing technology and developing the skills and uh, a curriculum around a, a, a school tend to be governors. Uh, yeah. Governors are important people in that setting. So for you as a, as a governor uh, continuing, what, what, what do you advise? This is, this is the thought. A couple of things we could probably get into this. What do you advise teachers who are passionate about the future of education, technology? How, how do they convince the governors that actually hold the money that this is the right thing to do? I think, look, um, there's a couple of things here. Um, for me, governance, you know, it, it's been it's been a challenge, I'll be honest with you. Um, I'm, um, you know, I, it, we haven't always got it right. There's been a recent article about the olive tree, myself and so on, and how we kind of didn't get some things right. So it's been it's been a learning curve for us in many ways as well. Um, but one thing that we, we, we definitely have learned as governors is that, you know, being able to kind of understand the philosophy of the school and being able to understand the vision of the school, that's quite key. Um, you know, I think that 
trustees are responsible to kind of look at finances. They're responsible for, for the outcomes and the best kind of, you know, uh, outcomes for the for the young young children. And, you know, they've got to ask the critical questions around that. Um, I think for, for trustees to be able to understand that there are potential um, you know, cost savings that can happen with the right type of tools and technology. So, you know, for example, um, you know, lots of technologies, and I'm not just talking about iPads, I'm talking about lots of different types of technologies. They have kind of like, you know, the the scanning features in the camera now where it kind of, you know, takes, a, takes an image of the document and so on. And if you just think about that as one thing, if that was happening across a school, I'm not saying that, it's going to be zero photocopying and printing, but it can have significant impact on the cost of that thing. Okay, um, and there are there is kind of um, opportunities to look at these operational uh, efficiencies and look at where time savings are. You know, the ability to look at you know, how you can reduce teacher workload, how you can change processes for things to be effective. And I think that it's a two way thing. One is if if uh, teachers can kind of show you know, the great things that they are doing with technology to trustees and kind of present and show to that, show that to them. That's great. Um, quite often trustees and governors will go into schools and they'll visit and they, they might go and have a look around. And that's great to be able to see that way as well. But also, um, I think as time's going on, um, the need for laptop trolleys, computer rooms and kind of, you know, that kind of expense and server rooms and, you know, all the kind of associated costs that go with that can be significantly reduced. There are lots of more effective tools that are out there um, that can be kind of, uh, that can, um, you know, contribute to, to cost savings as well. I'm not saying there shouldn't be computer rooms. Of course, there are subjects, certainly in secondary schools, where you need computer rooms. But actually, um, as time goes on, um, we are finding that there are more and more mobile tools that are actually accessible for students and actually they can continue to use at home and access and so on. Um, and it's a significant amount of um, investment that you then get return on. You know, you can invest almost half a million pound on technology after three o'clock it's just sat in the school no one's using it and it's just sat there on the weekends it's just sat there now imagine having infrastructure that can then go home and students can continue to access you know and of course there's all the stuff around safeguarding that needs to be looked at trustees and governors need to have that uh, a good understanding of that and that might mean more training and so on or getting to understand getting to kind of understand that more deeply from teachers that's something that that, that they might kind of need to spend a bit of time doing as well. But certainly there are lots of schools and lots of models out there now that, that definitely work around that. Yeah, and I think it's it's the message it sends, isn't it? If if it's a special lesson where you've where the where the teacher books out a computer room and takes the the class over to the computer room and it's something that they do once a month, um it's it that we may as well go back to when I was at school. I mean, which was quite a while ago now. Yeah. Uh, that's what we did. Uh, but now, like you say, the technology is there to to make it an integral part of every single lesson. Doesn't matter where you are in the school, and and not just where you are in the school, but where you are in the world as well. Because the and and as you said that, I was just thinking there actually the amount of school buildings right now that have got desktop computers in them that are just sat there <laughs> not being used. That millions, if not billions. <coughs> Yeah, I mean, it's for me, it's about return on investment. If we're going to invest in this, what are we going to get back? Where are the cost savings? Where are the time savings? You know, what's the residual value of kit at the end of so many years? Those are the kind of questions that I would be asking as trustee. Is it really making a difference for the students? Are they accessing things at home that they wouldn't be able to access normally? Um, you know, what's the kind of progress like for students and so on? You know, you have students with additional needs. Does the does the technology allow the students the, that and, and allow them to kind of fill gaps? And like pupil premium students, you know, can they um, access things and, you know, with screen readers and, you know, the ability to kind of use voice rather than being able to write to kind of communicate with their teachers and so on? Or, or maybe, you know, um, tools that can help them to write as well you know we um and and there's there's a variety of different things that's kind of out there now um that you can certainly support students i know the dfe approved um a tool called caligo um not so long ago and um you know it's helping students to write and you know we're kind of um i've i've kind of seen 
young I was, I was at a school in Chorley um, and working with them and I saw some students that normally wouldn't have a pen in their hand but this software was kind of you know um, using an AI engine and directing wh where the pen should be and giving them feedback as they did it um, and you could kind of see progress happening right in front of you like children being able to kind of get a better grasp of writing and so on so the thing is is that it's not going to stop there it's going to continue um, and of course there's going to be a lot of tools out there that might not be useful as well but until um, we don't we, we're not in a position to be able to kind of explore that and be able to kind of say yeah this is useful makes a difference and so on um, you know we're not we're not going to be in that place we'll continue to just keep doing the wrong things really well yeah, it, it'd be great to get into. We were chatting um, just earlier this evening uh, before the first first podcast we recorded about how it'd be really interesting after after when schools go back to normal uh, eventually that will schools start to invest money into more of a of a teacher who has a digital role? So you know how like some kind of tech coach or something like that, or maybe yeah. maybe an, an SLT member who's who has responsibility for for, for digital learning. Do you, do you say that is something that um, could potentially happen? <coughs> where governments have invested heavily in technology and where schools are kind of using this effectively, there is usually a role uh, like that. I've kind of seen that um, in the US, I've seen that in uh, Norway, I've seen that in Sweden in some places. Glasgow has something similar. I'm kind of seeing similar things in the UAE and Singapore as well. Um, I've seen similar things in Australia as well uh, and so on where, you know, there is that kind of uh, opportunity for that role. But that role is very much about teaching and learning. Yeah. You know, it's got to be someone that understands pedagogy really well and they have the understanding that actually this it adds value to teacher and uh, to, to, to learning and to understanding things, you know. Um, and I think that, you know, that role is definitely something that is kind of uh, powerful. For me, one of the things I am saying to teachers at the moment that in this pandemic, whatever tools you are using, you need to think about how effective they will be when schools return back to normal as well, rather than just kind of using tools as a kind of, you know, um, replacement, temp a temporary replacement. I think it's an opportunity to think about, well, actually, if we return back to normal, there's a lot of things that we can do more effectively uh, compared to compared to before. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think that's, I was thinking about this earlier today, actually, you know how, a lot of people are talking about now how uh, how prepared schools were for this, how yeah. prepared schools, you know, we had those few days warning, we had that week uh, where it was kind of inevitable. So a lot of schools, a lot of schools kind of jumped in and tried to try to get strategies in place for the school closures. But I think, I think what's probably even going to be more important is how, how schools are prepared for the return. Um, yeah. and, and it's something that, I was thinking about today, how, how do we start trying to come up with a strategy for when we return and how do we take what we've learned? Um, and it's only been four weeks and I know there's probably quite a few more weeks or months left in this, but how do we take what we're, what we're learning back into the when the buildings actually do open? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there is a tendency just to kind of go back to doing what we were doing before and just kind of muscle memory and just kind of carry on doing that. But I think that there's some real opportunities. Yeah, I think the ability to kind of screen record explanations by the teachers about stuff and being able to kind of send that to students so that they can watch it multiple times and have access to it. Things like that, approaches like that, I think that are very, very valuable. Um, I think, you know, um, there are a ton of kind of quizzing tools that allow students to kind of answer questions and the, the, and the, the technology itself will do the marking and feedback and so on as well. Um, and, you know, upload data to a database and so on. There's lots of tools like that that are there. Um, I think those kinds of things can significantly reduce um, teacher workload as well. And for me, um, based on the smaller and very few impact studies that I have done around verbal feedback, I think that can definitely add value. The teacher's ability just to speak and give feedback rather than having to write things down, purple pens, green pens, and then the students don't actually read it. Um, you know, um, you'd rather just have someone speaking to you. Um, so some of the kind of impact studies that we've done on that, we kind of see there's a higher degree of student engagement. But obviously, you know, verbal feedback, 
can happen in a, with lots of different apps and lots of different tools and lots of different ways. So there is kind of, you know, that thing, but it's definitely worthwhile, worthwhile exploring. I, I agree. Um, it's really interesting. Um, some of the, some of the, the research suggests that most people speak around four times faster than they can write. Um, and I, I know that everybody who listens to me realizes I speak really fast and sometimes <laughs> I just need to slow down. Um, but like, and then I don't know how fast some people could type fast, some people can write, some people can't. And I think that whole time saving efficiency is, is part of it. But I also think, obviously, it might be nice to get into that article that you wrote as well about effective feedback and looking at John Hattie's work around the value of feedback. Um, just before we get into it, I, I was reminded, I remember um, one present I got from a, a former assistant principal looking after teaching and learning. I remember us all walking into our classroom one morning and being given a stamp uh, with <laughs> a box that said verbal feedback given. And I, always, I, I used to think to myself, like, oh, this is amazing. I don't need to mark anymore. I'll just stamp that book. And then I thought, actually, there's a, there's a whole host of, like, nonsense um, yeah. around that idea because you could just stamp it and not mark it, like yeah. I was saying. Yeah. You could yeah. stamp it and say you've given verbal feedback and it's had no impact. But also, yeah. it's that whole well, what is the impact? What's changed in yeah. a learner yeah. from the feedback? So I don't know if you want to get into some of that stuff around Yeah, feedback. I mean, look, yeah, um, definitely I'm happy to kind of share the article. There's another one that's just been published um, in the, um, what's it called, um, in the Teach Middle East magazine um, with schools that I've been working on over there. Look, there's a couple of things I will say. Firstly, um, it's a lot about relationships. You being able to speak to your student, that verbal relationship is very, very unique. And obviously teachers will know that. How I speak to one student will be very different to the way in which I speak to another student, even though I'm giving the same feedback. So there's that element. The other thing there is um, around the whole verbal thing, um, and you know, the, the, the research that's been kind of done around feedback, it's not just about the teacher giving the feedback, it's the student responding to the feedback that actually makes the difference. We can give fantastic feedback all day long, really high quality and so on. But if the students don't respond, it's not really done the job, you know. Um, so kind of some of Hattie's research was about that particular element, the getting students to respond. So what I was really interested in is if you give verbal feedback and the student taps on something and listens to it and it's annotated over a written book or something like that. Do the students feel that I now need to respond to this because my teacher's just spoken to me and told me this? And then if you increase that transparency to parents, is that going to be an additional push from home and parents are going to kind of be able to kind of see that as well? You know, so um, I think that there's, there's, there's some real opportunities there. It's not just about having technology and putting technology in the hands. It's what is actually possible and what is achievable and the impact that it can have. I know of a school where this was enabled and a little girl who could not uh, read to her parents at night because one parent was working, the other parent didn't speak English, um, literally read to her teacher at night. So the verbal kind of reading was recorded. The teacher came in and when, you know, accessed their kind of uh, computer, suddenly saw that this child had read to them. Um, and then she spoke to the child and the child basically said, well, you know, um, I can't read to anybody at home at night. So I decided to read to you, miss. Yeah. Now, that's just one anecdotal story. But that equity of access and being able to communicate in that way is hugely powerful. You know, um, and I think that there's, you know, um, something that can be done and the impact that it can have in education can be pretty huge. And all the schools that have kind of done this with, it's just a small scale, but kind of just getting anecdotal information. We have been kind of collecting data. You know, how long does it take you to give verbal feedback to a class compared to written feedback? How many students have responded compared to before and so on? Um Actually, it the, the the information is kind of quite quite positive. We're kind of seeing that from from teachers and from students and 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 from parents as well when they've been asked that question. Yeah, and um, I know me and Ben were were having a conversation actually earlier about when students receive it and how they receive it. So in in Leeds, um, obviously where I do the majority of my work, um, there's a lot of Wi-Fi um, on public transport when students are travelling in, and I, I teach sixteen plus generally. 
Um, and actually students have a mobile phone or the majority of students have a mobile phone. They can then listen in a different mechanism and react differently and absorb that information differently on the way home in a gap that actually we can extend learning and they would do at home and also actually how they would do um, in a class of their peers when they're actually reading it and everybody's busy and it's, oh, what you've got? It's a very different mechanism. And without technology, they'd have yeah. to read it on the it's a it's a very different mechanism and i think technology that's where the enabler comes and where we can yeah. enhance it absolutely and you know some of the schools that i've been working with they're still doing final exams pen to paper they've got to write in books and so on but actually this is just adding value they just take a screen capture of the book they send it to the teacher and the teacher is then annotating on top of the book with voice you know adding voice notes on and annotating over the book um for me that's kind of really powerful you know the teachers the students are getting feedback the students can then respond to that and so on and you know you you can kind of go back to it six months later you can get that feedback i can listen to what the teacher said again and that's an important part as well you know to be able to go back in time and to be able to see what was that explanation that the teacher did about you know long division and so on um the other thing that's useful as well and certainly i was talking about screen recording and voice and so on as well is that actually that whole conversation with parents you know that you have with your children sometimes um yes the parents can, does know how to do long division but the child will always say but we don't do it like that in school my teacher does it a different way that should be a thing of the past now because you can easily record your drawings on a screen and all um you know um you can kind of record what you're drawing put your voice over the top as an explanation and i can just send that as a little video clip um out there for parents to see for students to see <clears throat> and there are lots of different mechanisms and tools that allow for that to happen um but actually that's something that the parents should be able to see and then provide that additional value and support to their children you know? um that's that's re that's really important. I think I, I've got a nine year old who um, and a five year old girl, both of them at home, um, and uh, they're talking to me about fronted adverbials and split digraphs. And when I was at school, we didn't learn what a split digraph was or a fronted adverbial. We we didn't learn those. We learned examples of what they were. We were never told yeah. that phrase. Um, yeah. or, or, and you, and they, these children now, my children, my five-year-old talking to me about split digraphs and my <laughs> nine-year-old talking to me about front of the adverbials. And you think that that's really interesting what you're saying about teachers informing parents because our, our education was different than what the education is there in front um, that, that the students are developing now and that the students are using now. So I think it's, for me, really important that there is that level of communication with home as much as it's it, it sometimes a feedback for the learner, but you're saying as well, it's feedback for parents and support for parents. Um, and and uh, we, we just had um, an interview with Kevin Wadar from um, Kid Coach App, and he was talking yeah. about developing soft skills in in with with parents and their children and i think there's the soft skills and the hard skills stuff here that actually we have a responsibility as educators not just to educate children but to educate parents as well uh, in not in a in, in, not in a patronizing way but also yeah. just to support isn't it but i think i think that's where you know teachers need to be enabled you know they need to have access to the right tools the right training they need to be shown i mean when i've done this with schools i get all these aha moments from teachers thinking oh actually that could be quite powerful i think teachers need to know that it's not going to be click on this click on that click on this you know and now you need to download this and do this and do that technology has moved on there's a degree of simplicity and reliability to it that allows us to kind of do things in a very easy way the same teachers will go home and you know they'll be using their tablets to can phones to kind of order holidays and do all sorts of different things and so on but actually we come to school and you know we kind of we're stuck because we've got different tools or we haven't had training or students don't have access and so on so i think that there's a whole host of opportunity to be able to do things but we really do kind of need to look at you know um how we're doing things in a different way so that when this type of if this type of scenario was ever to have happen again god forbid um you know we we don't end up in a reactive kind of scenario but we're actually proactive um and we can continue and you know, if you think about snow closures and all that kind of stuff that can happen actually students can continue to learn you know as and when they need to and the support of the teachers can be there as and as and when it needs to be as well 
Yeah, I think that's a good point to maybe talk about. I know last time we spoke uh, on the phone a couple of months ago, you were you were talking about the possibility of um, going over to Australia to <coughs> see some of like in the outback and how the, yeah. how they promote And it's one thing I'm I hear quite a bit at the minute is that people are saying, well, we're using technology at the moment, but we'll get back. We'll get it. We're going to get back to face to face because face to face is better. We're, don't worry, we're going to get back to to being in the classroom. That's better. And and. I th- and I think when I hear that, I think, well, it's not like it's one's better than the other. It, surely there has to be an integration of both there when when things return to normal. But there are places in the world where where they they have to distance learn because, like the yeah. of Australia, where people live hundreds of miles from each other. Yeah, uh, so that, that's a project that's happening. That. Sorry, that was a project that's happening in the Northern Territory. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to kind of um, go there, but. Um, looking, speaking to the team that's kind of working out there, you know, this is, you know, a, a culture that's thousands of years old, you know, the way they learn through their kind of language and they want to preserve their kind of, you know, approaches to life and so on. You know, people can go and walk about and you might not see them again for a while and so on. You know, the abil- and that's where kind of technology really allows, you know, for that kind of blended approach to happen. You know, where, yes, you can get 10, 15 minutes of face to face stuff, but actually I can continue to add value to that afterwards as well through voice and video and speaking and annotations and all that kind of stuff and so on. You know, um, the ability to celebrate cultural heritage and to be able to share your ideas and opinions, the ability to kind of capture um, stories from people that are no longer going to be in the world in the next five years and so on and be able to kind of appreciate that and so on and to be able to pass that on you know these are these are very powerful mechanisms to be able to kind for a community to learn and grow um, and continue to kind of develop and to understand their heritage and so on especially if your heritage is in a position where you know it's kind of not mainstream it's kind of dying out you know it's kind of you know out there on the fringes um actually the ability to kind of keep that alive and share it's a really powerful thing we kind of underestimate that um but these are tools that you know are absolutely kind of you know going to be um essential um for the growth survival and kind of you know understanding of of these kind of rural communities in in different places yeah do you think we'll ever get to a point where and we talk a lot on this podcast about uh, starting our own school. Um, it's just a, it's just a fantasy we have, I think. Um, but, but you're someone who's actually done it, so it's great. It's always great to uh, get to talk to somebody who, who is, has started a school from the ground up. But do you think? Do you think there's, there'd ever be a space in in the UK for a, a remote school, a school that is entirely remote? Oh, that's a that's a good question. Oh, um, that's a good. Question. Can I jump in? I Go on. Sorry. Remember, I'm not going to say the guest because he did say let's not. But remember a few, a few weeks ago when we had a conversation that um, that was proposed to the government and it wouldn't take off the ground because oh, yeah. they had to register it in a local authority. And he said, but it's going to be in the cloud. And I said, no, but you've got, <laughs> we've, got to, we've got to draw down the funding from one authority. And he said, but it's going to be in the cloud. And they just wouldn't have it, so he ended up setting it up somewhere was else. It, was it the form he had to fill out had to have a had to have an address on. <laughs> yeah, an address, and I just said, just come up with some random stuff. And he said, no, but you can't put it anywhere because that's where I need to draw down the funding. And I was like, maybe the red tape is, is stopping us, Abdul. I think so. I mean, look, you know, you there are rules and regulations in place that, are, and, and the way in which we would kind of accept funding and all of that i mean i've got my governance head on now um so i think i don't think that that would be kind of possible as a funded thing but you know um maybe 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 the old national academy approach kind of thing might be worthwhile kind of looking at maybe that might uh, be the grounds of uh, something to kind of uh, start up with but i think it's a uh, it's something that could probably run simultaneously but i don't know as a mainstream approach at this moment in time whether we're ready for i have met schools that don't have physical locations that move around the world they kind of do um, placements in different countries at different times and learn topics and so on um so that is a possibility um and that is an approach that can that can happen as well i am i am wondering now how they drew how how they drew down their funding if they're in the cloud and you so school. i think yeah it's like a private school setup and um you know the, the the funding is then kind of used um rather than school buildings and all of that kind of stuff they go off um exploring different parts of the world and they kind of sit exams 
in a certain place when they come back to the country of origin and so on. Um, but that's a, an interesting concept that I did kind of have a look at in the past. It would be cool, though, like to have, you know, almost like long distance university courses. So like everyone gets together every half term for like a residential somewhere, um, does does like the, the team building style stuff. And then um, has Abdul gone? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'll just continue speaking until he comes back. But it would be interesting, you know, how like you do get that that um, distance kind of university course where people get together and they sometimes have residentials every so often. Um, I've been university as well. Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if that could work in a school setting. They're yeah. massive open university, enormous. That model, how can we take that? How can we learn from the people that set that mm. up? That are still running it and leading it, and apply that to to over. Why can that model for a university in the cloud that's completely remote? How can that not be taken to 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 filter down to FE uh, and to different schools? I I think now's the time, and I think it bring up the comment from from Joe Fletcher Saxon that so many things were told were not possible, but actually is this time now where we push the boundaries and say, well, actually that wasn't possible before. But why is it not possible now? Because if this happens again or something else happens, we need to be geared up for it. But also we need to be geared up because actually are we missing a demographic of, demographic of students? Um, I think it was last summer. Uh, so a great example of remote delivery happening um, in the north of Scotland where um, to look at the provision in terms of the hires um, in Canusie High School, they were getting support by uh, a local college um, that was further afield. They, they didn't have that specialism in terms of delivery. They were watching and doing that completely remote, delivered by teachers in the university and colleges, and, and the, the students were tapping into that uh, for a couple of hours a week. It was fantastic practice. It worked brilliantly with The students were motivated because it was something they were passionate about. And uh, he's back. Abdul, why, why are you here? We've, we've I've created got, I've got a group. webinar. I've got another webinar uh, just in, about, in a couple of minutes. Yeah, but, uh, right. I think I just lost connection because it automatically loaded on my device. That's right. right okay. uh, uh, you missed that. We've we've created an online school. In those wonderful. <laughs> you, you, you're a governor of it, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> Abdul, shall we shall we wrap up so you can? Yeah, yeah. No, I'll just start this this webinar that I'm just about to to launch. It's been great being on here, guys. You're doing a fantastic kind of job here, kind of interviewing people and sharing great stuff. I think it's kind of appreciated by um, the education community in the UK and abroad as well. So um, brilliant. Kudos to you guys. Thank you. Oh, thanks. So we know you're a busy man. So thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye -bye. Cheers. Cheers.